Joe presents TKO. Welcome to TKO on Joe. Uh, after quite a start to 2020, we've got a packed schedule uh, on the way over the next couple of months. Wilder Fury 3 in the works. Billy Joe Saunders uh, takes on Canelo. Joshua against Pulev as well. Usyk Chisora, Dylan White and Alexander Povetkin. Um, one lady who's going to be in the mix on April 24th is our guest today. Uh, 5-0 prospect with Match and Boxing, Shannon Courtney. Did you know he was starting there? No. There was <laughs> no war. So did I. <laughs> Was that the start? That was the start. We're on. Yeah, we're on. We're in. Um, thanks for coming on. It's okay. Thanks I was for trying. To, me. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure. We were trying to get you on last year, but times and dates and stuff didn't quite line up. But here we are. First of all, nice t-shirt. Welcome, Carl. Thanks, mate. Did you get that from our latest trip? Um, really? Was that the one before? The latest trip. Yeah. Well, the latest trip being yeah, the one in the, the summer, one, the one that didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one. Good stuff. Right. I want to just before we start, Shannon. Just carry I, on telling the story. I was tell, yeah, so I was going to tell a story about what would you do in this situation, right? So he heard like a pallet gun being fired. I was on oh. my own. He was on his own in a house in, in a Philly. in a yeah, rough area. On, and we were in the real we were in the real rough area. Who's yeah. telling the story? Well, yeah. I feel like you're going to understand it, <laughs> so I so, sort of want to chip in where it's relevant. He's in a rough area in Philly in an Airbnb on his own. The guys are out having food, and he hears a gunshot. Several gunshots. Several? Yeah. An automatic weapon. Wasn't an automatic weapon. Several. An automatic weapon, was it? You've you've never said that. I left you a voice note with that very information. There are a lot of helicopters circling our block after a lot of gunfire. So just be very careful when you get back, lads. Heads down. Get into the block as quickly as you can. And lock the door. He went and hid in the bath <laughs> right, and phoned his, phoned his mum. No, that's such a lie. I didn't phone mum. You told me you phoned your mum. We're like, listen, mum, I've no, never I called my mum when I got food poisoning. Oh, okay. That was the way you mixed in two stories. <laughs> right, hold on, hold on. While you were on the plane back with your fat hand, I was in a bath because in the films, that's what they do. If you hear gunfire, you get in the bath. It's porcelain, isn't it? So if a bullet, if, if a stray comes through the, the wall... <laughs> You've got another layer. Oh, whoops! You've got another layer of protection, and that's. I like it as if. What was I supposed to do? Lean out the window and go. Oh, keep it down, lads. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I have a. I've never heard of getting in the bath. In the bath, that's never a new one. Doing the films, I was just. I wasn't cowering in the bath. I wasn't like. <laughs> I was just in there. I was on my phone and stuff. But I just thought I was saying here. So until... you was laying flat in the bath. I was just laying flat in the Scared, bath. Scared, thinking. Oh, no, I'll voice. Was your head <laughs> underneath, like? Yeah, I'm not an idiot. Yeah, my head was underneath there. There was no water in the bath. It was an empty bath. I was just in the bath, just doing my carrying on, doing my research. I wasn't like terrified. Oh, I just amazing. thought that's, that's the safe. Hilarious as well. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but you act as if I think no, you... it's hilarious. You wouldn't do that. I've heard gunshots. Yeah, but you you didn't grow up in Seven Oaks in Kent, did you? True. So true. What am I supposed to do? ring the police? What's the problem? I'm middle class. <laughs> <laughs> what you want me to say? Anyway, so Shan, do was I right to get in the bath in that? I think that's reasonable. I personally probably wouldn't think I know get in the bath, but if it works, it works. You two are so ghetto, unbelievable. <laughs> You're still alive to tell the story. You dodged the bullet. That's all that matters. Exactly. Yeah, it's embedded in the bath. Um, <laughs> right. Welcome to TKO. That wasn't the start I expected. So you are five and zero. I am. Sure, one year, I'll say anniversary, but the, the year the year of your debut, yes. a one year since your debut. A lot of pressures that came with your debut because you, mm. to, to people who weren't necessarily hardcore fans of the sport or didn't necessarily follow, follow the amateurs, you just suddenly exploded onto the scene. Eddie Hearn's given you this opportunity. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're boxing in front of massive crowds, loads of attention, but ultimately a lot of pressure. Yeah, because I didn't come to the table with 
a gold medal like Katie Taylor did or the other girls that were Olympians. I never went to the Olympics. I didn't have hundreds of amateur backgrounds, didn't have that grade. So when I was given the opportunity, obviously I took it with both hands. And some people were like, they, they would watch me. I'd always, if you'd knew me, you'd said, yeah, her style was better suited to the professional ranks. But if you didn't know me, it's kind of, well, why did she, why has she been given this opportunity? She didn't go to the Olympics. So there was a lot of pressure of me to perform, especially in front of a massive crowd. I think it was 10,000 a copper box. So, yeah, it was a big, big night, but I think I held my nerve and done pretty well. You did, yeah, you did. And, and, of course, any woman that turns over within three or four years of Katie Taylor turning pro, there's instantly pressure when you give it a big clap. You're going to be compared to Katie all the time. Mm. I think you have to just perform and, well, yeah, you cannot, you're going to be compared to her, but you have to forget about that and just focus yeah. on herself, I suppose, um, which it looks like... Well, I've, I've always said I don't ever want to be compared to Katie mm. because... We're just two completely different journeys. She's got that massive background, the, the medals, uh, the everything, and I'm not that person. Mm. I've got that raw, the way I fight is very raw and aggressive, and she's very skillful. So we're very two diff- very different people, but trying to make waves in different ways, I guess. And I do a lot of work with Charlie Beat in Adam Booth's gym, and obviously Adam as well. Mm. feel like you're improving all the time. I know you feel like you're physically getting a lot stronger. Yes. And from your performances, it looks like you're improving. Do you feel like you've still got a long way to go? Oh, I've got a long way to go. I'm not ignorant enough to sit here and say, I'm ready for titles now, etc. I've got so much to learn, so much to prove as well. But every day I'm getting stronger, faster, sharper. My my IQ is getting bigger as well. So just just little tricks of the trade I'm learning every day, but I'm still really enjoying it, which is the best thing. Because of the, like, the strength and depth from female boxing the male boxing you can fight for a world title a lot sooner yeah is it realistic to say you should fight for a world title in your around 10 fights or is that too soon so obviously i'm fighting in about six weeks time that'll be my sixth fight and i'm fighting very very soon afterwards for my seventh so probably not i wouldn't say 10 but yeah not far off it yeah not far off it maybe i don't know we don't know it's down to obviously adam and eddie yeah but I'd love to be able to do the traditional route, but obviously there's, that's not there for women to go and do like the British or Commonwealth, the European. There's no British type of women, which is annoying. But I'd like maybe the Commonwealth and then go for the European. I'd like to try and do it as traditional as possible. Yeah. You won the Southern Area, didn't you? As an amateur. As an amateur. I was the first ever non-elite fighter to win it, yeah. I was at the fight? I've done it in just a beat GB number one and I think it was my 12th fight. Yeah, it was at your call. Yeah, it was a good fight, that as well. She was a Repton girl as well, so she had a big, big crowd there. Yeah. I remember it. That's a good fight. Yeah, I remember. I thought I saw you at the Harringay Box Cup. Must have been a year before, fifteen or sixteen. When then, I won it. Yeah. Yeah. And then sixteen was the Southern Area. So yeah, you've been around for a while, but then obviously coming to the pro game under the biggest promoter in the UK, mm. biggest TV platform in the UK, and then also signing with <coughs> one of the the most renowned trainers in the country as well, mm. and being in a stable with Josh Kelly and Mick Conlon and at the time Ryan Burnett. Burnett. Obviously, those have become your friends and your teammates. But at the time, that's. I suppose quite an intimidating prospect, right? Even to this day, it's still a lot of pressure. It's amazing because you sit there and you learn off them every day, but it's also, in a way, it's also a bit, not frustrating because you can only ever become a productive environment and you can learn from them. But I'll see the likes of Josh or Mick doing things. I'm like, oh, why can't I do that yet? But then it makes you more determined because you're like, well, I'm going to be able to do that soon. I'm going to be able to get my feet in that position quicker. So you you just learn off them. You sit there and you just be a sponge and absorb as much as you possibly can. You ever remember being in the gym when you were younger, up and coming and seeing somebody that you really revered and thought, wow. Yeah. And it was guys who... It was a guy, I remember. It was a guy called Conal Carmagel, who you will never have heard of. Boxed 
and the Irish, might have been Irish senior champion. Um, and when I was coming up as a kid in the Ulsters and, and watching all the Ulster fighters, he's, he's from Belfast, we boxed in the Ulster Championships too. I thought this guy was like Muhammad Ali. And he was like Irish level, but just because he was like the, the top guy in Ireland, I was like, I need to... He was like, I'm not going to say he's my hero, but he was someone who I really admired and thought was like, this guy's unreal, no mm. one can beat him. So there's there's always people like that just... And you can use it off anyone. Like, for example, I was a world champion when Josh Taylor joined the same gym that I was at. Mm. I felt like I was learning off Josh Taylor. So you can take different bits off different fighters and, and hopefully put it all together. Good stuff. It's well documented why you got into boxing, the weight loss and the, the bad lifestyle choices. But yeah. the, the one thing that we're going to talk about today, which I'm very grateful for, by the way, because we've, we've spoken about it in private, but I understand it's not necessarily the easiest thing to just go and talk about to anybody that you necessarily don't know. And you've, all, mm. you've got YouTube outlets sort of in your face asking you different questions each and every week. But it's one of the reasons, I suppose, why you're at that place in your life and a little bit about your childhood up until that point. Mm. So... The floor's kind of yours with this. You grew up in Abbots Langley. You lived in a pub from the age of four. Yes. So the, the floor's yours. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your childhood. So grew up with... My dad was Irish. My mum is English. Moved into a pub that my granddad used to own. My mum brought it off him. So I moved in there from the age of four till 17. So I lived... I was constantly around a lot of people all the time, which is probably why... People would say to me, does it not bother you being the only girl in the gym and you're constantly around men? But I'm used to it because I've grew up in a pub, so mm. to me it's not anything new. Things, obviously, from that point was pretty normal and then kind of started to notice things weren't normal as you get to about six or seven because my dad was an alcoholic. So I had a pretty rough pretty rough few years of that. But it's um, I'm grateful for it because it's now made me who I am. There's a reason that I can fight. There's a reason that I've got the mentality that I do. And um, it wasn't the greatest start to life, but it's made me a very strong person because of it. And I, I wouldn't change it, to be honest. So when you say you start to realise that things weren't right, as, as a kid, obviously, you only know what you know, right, as you grow up. Yeah. What, what were the things that you started to think early? What were your kind of earliest memories of something not being right? You probably just notice things aren't normal when you're going home and it's constantly screaming or violence or just your mum's always unhappy and I remember like the pub we lived in it was on a corner of a green and and um my my real dad would see like my mum's car because she used to own a driving school as well so she had like a sign on her roof Jane's driving so he'd see her car come around he'd either down the pint or he'd hide it underneath thinking that she was idiotic enough to not realize that he was and she pleaded with him for years to stop drinking and it got he become hospitalised numerous times because of it and just little things. You notice things are normal when you see kids are running out to their mum and dad after school and they're happy families and yet one night you might get woken up in the night with your drums on and you've got to go stay in a hotel because it's not safe for you to be at home because your dad's on one. Do you know what I mean? So you realise things, they're not normal. But again, you grow from it and you learn from it, don't you? Hmm. It's not little things, though. You said it's little things, you know what I mean? So they come out... There's so many stories like this in boxing, and you hear it all the time, but it's you have to look at each individual differently, and I think it's like it's commendable that you didn't, because of, like, the upbringing you've had. Easily, you could have went off the rails and took 
a wrong direction and maybe just say, I don't give a shit about this. And I did for a while. Yeah. I did for quite a few years, I did. And then boxing's what saved me from continuing it because I saw the pattern that was, was occurring because of it. Because my my mum, when I was 10, eventually plucked up the courage to say, well, I'm divorcing you. Because she, she was terrified. We was all terrified of him. He wasn't a nice person. And then he decided that he didn't want me or my brother that he was like that was it I'm done kind of thing so we were actually quite happy about it and then my stepdad come along and took me on when I was 11 called Lee and he's like the most amazing man in the world I don't call him dad but he is my dad and everything was good but then you just you're constantly covering up like the school paid for me to have like counselling anger management etc mm. and you're constantly making that like, you're fine because you don't want to show weakness and I just started drinking really heavy smoking really heavy and it really spiraled out of control and it was boxing that kind of made me wake up and realise you're going to wind up like your old man. What are you doing? And then it just that was it. Just stopped there and then. Were you boxing already then, no. or are you just getting the boxing Started because boxing of that? At age 21? Really? I only went to boxing gym to lose weight. It wasn't to. Well, no, it was actually to be actually completely honest. I was working behind a bar, another pub on my own at the time, and the guy that was drinking there had a boxing gym. And he's like, oh, all the girls are coming, come to it. And I turned up to my first lesson, my first session. Drunk. No. Yeah, and I made out I was going for a wee and I didn't. I went outside and was sick and had a fag. <laughs> <laughs> In between about five and six. Yeah. Wow. And then he was like, you can actually punch quite hard. How comes you know how to fight? And obviously, because of my childhood, I'd kind of experienced fighting as such. So I don't know. And then eventually they persuaded me to go to Finchley and they were like, yeah, you're you're actually really talented. And then that was it. I walked at the gym, threw the fags in the bin and I'd never smoked fags in, stopped drinking and sorted my life out. That's great. That's amazing. Can I ask a bit about your... You've got brothers and sisters. I've got an older brother. Yeah. And then I've got a little sister, Harriet. We've got a different dad. So my stepdad, Lee, is her dad. Okay, but your brother's from your... Yeah, from my my biological father, yeah. And out of interest, how's he he sort of... (laughs) What's his journey been like compared to yours? Are you quite close with him or...? Uh, Yeah, he lives doesn't live near me now. He lives quite far away, but um, he just won't point blank talk about anything. Very shut-off, typical man, trying to, like, I guess... Not mention it really, right? But it's, it'd probably be a lot easier for me as a fighter. Like I'm just the first one I've ever spoken about it, and I've done hundreds of interviews in the last year mm. to not talk about it because you're seeing as a fighter, you shouldn't show vulnerability, you shouldn't show any sort, sort of weakness. But I think sometimes it is important to actually be able of to. It is. And that's, it's not a vulnerability. Is no, it? it's not because it's in the ring, yeah, you'd like to think you're bulletproof, but people need to realise. And this goes for like social media reasons as well. When we step out the ring, we are just humans we yeah. do feel we do cry we do, do you know what I mean that we have emotions and sometimes it does get a better view so I sit there and I have done for years saying ah oh, but my dad doesn't bother me I'm not bothered no of course it bothers me I think about it non-stop but I'm I'm also very grateful for it as well because I probably wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for what happened to me it shaped me as a person and I imagine you have a lot of respect for your your mum not only for plucking up the courage to leave your dad but for doing everything that I know she's done for you over the last you know 20-odd 20, 20 years. Listen, when my mum eventually had enough of the violence and the, everything else that went along with it, and she did leave him, when he said, well, I washed my hat, I thought, I want nothing to do with no-one. Because we were, at the time, we had a house in Cyprus. We was living in the pub and in Cyprus, like, in between. And we was all going to fly home together, back to England. And as we got to the door, my real dad went, mm, not coming. 
I'm done with you, that's it, kind of thing, and stayed in, in my mum's house in Cyprus. And when we went got, got back home, my mum, I remember we walked through the door, my mum was like, right, it's us three now, we're going to get through this. Then we found out that he'd left us in an extortionate amount of debt, all through drinking that we didn't know about. And not once did she ever ask for help, not once did she ever complain. She just worked 24-7. Like she, I think she was working at one point like 18-hour <clears> days. And me and my brother went to school every day with the best shoes on, the best train, like best trainers, best jacket, best bags. We had no idea that she had nothing. And she was working her ass off just to raise us. And she paid it all off. And do you know what? Last Friday, <coughs> she actually moved into a house on her dream road that she's always said she wanted to live in. And she's done it all on her own. Well, with my stepdad, but she's done it all. Wow. So she is an amazing woman. Amazing. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Because I guess you get to a position like that you're in, you, you can take care of family and friends around you, people that you care about. He just bought me a pizza, for example. But, like, you're actually in a position where, you know, were your mum not able to do those things, you're kind of getting towards that place where you can start to help her out. And that must yeah. be an amazing feeling for you to, like, gift her something. I remember seeing um, Regis Progray bought his mum a house after the Taylor fight and just seeing the, the videos on there when he surprised her and just thinking what an incredible feeling that must be. So to yeah. be able to pay your mum back or be on the road to paying your mum back for everything yeah, she's done. Yeah, to be able to... No, I will do very soon. I'll be able, I'll be able to treat her nicely, and I've got things I've got in place that I want to surprise her and my stepdad with because he raised me as well, and he's been an amazing man. So when I'm able to do that, it will be an amazing feeling just to pay her back for everything that she did and put up with for me, and my brother. Because not many she could have walked away as well. It would have been probably a lot easier for her to walk away when he did, but she didn't. She stayed around. So how do you think then, if you could describe it to me, what are the positives that came out of? your childhood that you've taken into boxing? What's it given you, that experience? I've got a good chin now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <laughs> I guess my relentlessness, because when you've experienced quite a lot of bad things in your childhood, nothing really seems to phase you going forward. So I'm kind of fearless in a, little, in a way, I guess. Nothing comes to fight. You know, some people got that fight or flight. I'll always mm. be fight. So nothing really phases me that way and... I've got a very strong mentality. I'm very determined. But it comes with negatives as well, of course it does. Like, because weirdly enough, even though the sport I'm in, outside of boxing, I hate violence. I can't mm. even watch violent films. I, I hate anything like it. It makes me, it makes my skin crawl. But yeah, it's just a weird, weird that I chose to get into this career. The sport, though, like it takes a lot of times a bit of hardship to make the best fighters. Yeah. Very few fighters have came from real privileged backgrounds. Yeah. And and for the most part, fighters who have seen hardship and violence, and they're nice people mm. as well. Maybe because they've seen it, they've experienced it, they don't want other people to see it and experience it. But you hear so many stories like that. Look at even my next opponent, Jamel Hurin. His, mm. his pinned tweet is something like, I've got post-traumatic stress from fighting in two wars mm. in Iraq. He's lost a child. He's got children with autism. And he kind of says, boxing's therapy for him. If you use it like that and think of it that it gives way. It you something to fight for as well. Because if you've always just been handed everything, you don't know what it's like to actually have to earn something and work your ass off. And in boxing, that reveals your character. When you're biting down your gum shield and it's getting really tough in there, that's when your true colours do come out. Absolutely. So how do you channel it on the fight night then? Get into that fight mode as somebody. It's not. And obviously, you know, I've known you for a year. You're not confrontational. You're very, you're very pleasant to be around. You're great company. But you're on fight night. You go into 
into that beast mode? What's your process? So I'm all I'm all good during the whole day. I'm obviously I'm nervous. Have to FaceTime my mum in the morning, and I feel like I'm all right. And then I turn my phone off, and then I'm pretty chilled out. When we have lunch before the fight, always I ask a hundred questions, and they'll tell me stop asking questions about what about my opponent or because I don't watch my opponents, do I? I don't watch them, so I'll sit and ask questions, and then I'll ask, "Do you think I've done enough this camp, or do you think I'm fit enough?" And I, and I know I am, but I need to. Hit, I need reassurance from my team. And then, as soon as we get into the arena, as we're pulling in, something comes over me, and that's it. I'm just a different person altogether. I'm still really relaxed, but you could be talking. I might not even be listening, but I'll be looking at you. But I won't be listening. And then, as soon as the music comes on in my change room. I feel loose and I'm just, it's very, we have this thing, like even in our gym, we have the same playlist every day and we, put, and we play it in the change rooms as well. So it's really regimental and it's puts you into a good, like a good frame of mind really. And I just, yeah, I feel really happy and controlled and just unfazed. Do you know what I mean? Try and no emotion really. Does that ring true to you as well? Yeah. I, yeah You're quite relaxed. Yeah. Really. I, I, I'm very relaxed and, and each People are different and people have a different approach. I like to be chilled and I like to talk to my team. I don't ask too much about the opponent or the fight. And even, I'm not really that switched on, I don't think, until I do a wee bit of a warm-up in the change room and hit the mm. pause and get switched on then, then I relax again. And when I'm walking to the ring, I'm actually I'm half enjoying the ring walk. It's when I'm in the ring is when I really switch on. There's other people who are, you can't speak to the whole day of a fight. But that's just each of their own different Yeah, I different used mentality. to be like that in the amateurs. I couldn't bear anyone talking to me. I used to have headphones in all the time. And I used to be really superstitious. I used to have the same playlist. I used to have to get my car cleaned mm. on that day. I used to have to have Neil Diamond, Crackling Rosie playing. Like I was really... But then I think Adam kind of broke it out of me and was like, no, enjoy the process. Like, I think it was my debut. He was like, enjoy the process, enjoy being there. And then... Remember, just before we was walking out, I remember Adam putting my jacket on me and Bruno Mars come on in the background. I looked at Charlie and he remember him saying to me, you deserve to be here, don't ever doubt yourself. Because in my head, if, if they could see that, I was like, oh, but I haven't got an Olympic medal, why am I here? And he was like, you deserve to be here. And I felt instantly, okay. And then I always pray before I go out. And then Eddie Hearn come in and I was dancing to Bruno Mars, so I was so chilled out. And he went, is she all right? Like, why is she dancing? They were like, she's just cool. Like, she's just chilled. Mm. That was it, I'm fine. But when I walk to the ring, I can't see nobody and I can't hear nothing. It's mm. all just pitch black. Interesting. Talk to me about the last year then, because obviously you've experienced a different level of exposure and, I suppose, fame, for want of a better word, mm. than you've had at any other time of your life. I know you had a kind of bit of a cult following before through... Is it Watford Football Club? Yeah, from Watford, yeah. Yeah, so, that, so how did that come about? Just because you're a fan of them? And what, what's the, like, what's the no, connection No, I just there? think, I just... Because I grew up in a pub, everyone kind of knows you. And then my granddad owned a pub as well, my uncle owned a pub. So the, in, all the, in the village, we owned basically every pub. So everyone knew my family. And so I just had a bit of a following. Anyway. And then because of my style as an amateur, I was quite exciting... And because I didn't fight like an amateur, I did come forward. I didn't care if you hit me, I was going to hit you twice as hard. And it was just aggressive. People from the amateur days always... Like I remember at the Harangay Box Cup, they had five rings and it was packed out. But everyone was dispersed like evenly. The minute my fight got announced, the entire ring... You, no one else was boxing because everyone came to watch me. Mm. So I just got that exciting style. So I think I kind of bring a following from there. But last year, the fan base just got... For someone who's only had five fights, it's 
pretty big. Because you were also, I seem to remember you secured like your own deal with, I want to say Lonsdale originally. Mm, they contacted me about doing a deal after like... <clears throat> That's before the matchroom deal, I think. Way before I did yeah, yeah, have yeah. a pro. I think I had like 14, 15 amateur fights and they'd contacted me and... Something was unheard of, that. Like securing a deal with a sponsor of that size as, when you're as not an amateur. Yeah. And an amateur, not, you didn't go to any major tournaments or anything. Obviously, that's, it is unheard of, really. You nearly actually got... It was a funny set of uh, circumstances, time-wise, wasn't it? You signed, yeah. your pro, you, you signed your pro deal and, and signed with Adam, and then you got a call from GB, didn't you? So, obviously, I'd have had weekends at Team GB, and I'd been doing stuff up there. Didn't really enjoy it. I didn't like the setup. I didn't like... They were constantly trying to change me, making me a long, tall, upright fighter, which is not what I am. So, I didn't really enjoy it, and then I was meant to go back again for more... Didn't turn up, didn't like it. And then... Everyone was always like, why hasn't Shannon been called up? Why hasn't Shannon been called up? And then I was meant to fight in Jersey. Took time off work, flew to Jersey. By this point, I'd already been working with Adam. Lost in the ABA finals, was a bit pissed off. Flew to Jersey, done the weigh-in, did it. And then in Jersey, they do a day before weigh-in, which was unheard of in the amateurs. So Adam was in New York with Michael because it was Lomachenko-Lenares and Mick was on the undercard. Weighed in, went with the team for lunch... And it was um, a London team, and I was captain. And Lenny Hagland, who was the coach, uh, got a call, and they said, the girl's not fighting now. So I'd taken time off work, I'd flown there. I remember texting Adam, saying, I'm effing done with the amateurs. That's me, I'm done. He went, what's happened? What's wrong? And I said, she's pulled out, I've flown here, taken time off work, etc. lost out of money. He said, chill out, calm down, we'll talk about it tomorrow. So then obviously Mick went and won, whatever else. Adam come home, he said, come to my house tonight and do a leg circuit with Josh. And he said, oh, you know, you're going to turn pro, but not yet. Um, we're going to give you another year. I'm not necessarily saying you're going to turn over with me, but I'll help you find the right coach. And so I was like, so for like, for like three months I didn't sleep. Because I was like, I don't know where my career's going to go. I want to turn pro, but he's telling me not to. And I don't know who I'm going to go with because I kind of put my trust into this man. And I remember being at work because I was a chef. And I was chopping away and my phone text, it was Adam. He said, are you in the gym or are you at work? I said, I'm at work. He said, sit down. I thought, what the hell's going on? So I went into my office and I got a text. He sent me some screenshots of conversations between him and Eddie. And he's basically saying, yeah, we're going to sign her. Uh, so I rang Adam. I said, you're on a wind-up, aren't you? He said, no. He goes, I'm going to sign you as manager. Da-da-da. You're going to work with Charlie and me. And, and that was it. it just all, I went into the office, ham and was in. It was all just took off from there. Brilliant. What a day. You need to stop dropping that pen. Yeah, well, I'm hoping you wouldn't mention that. But thanks for <laughs> thanks for telling the audience I've dropped it twice. Wait, that's the third time. It's definitely the third time. I've just left it on the floor now because I've dropped it. Yeah, is it the third time? It's just it's staying there. Don't worry about it. Um, what a day for you that must yeah. be. Yeah, amazing. And now five fights in. Have you had any conversations with Eddie or, or Adam as to what your plan is? Because you mentioned world title coming up. I've also had a chat with the Sowlands, who I know are quite keen to do a women's tournament, and mm-hmm. I think they've got. Uh, Dina Thorsland and Sophie Alish, who were around your kind of weight division. Well, Dina's super bantam. Yeah, of course. Sophie's so, light, isn't she? She's but, 60. Yeah, but of course, that you, there would be a bit of movement for those two if the right tournament was made. And of course, I, I'm pretty sure that you would be... Yeah, we would well, have you in mind for those plans. We'd 
it's been mentioned to me before, obviously, this tournament a couple of times, but me and Adam actually had a chat the other day and he said, you are a bantamweight, you are 118. Obviously, in my career so far, I've done 118, 119, I went up to Super Bantam, see how we felt, I've done it all. I am a bantamweight, so I think... We'll see, obviously, what opportunities rise, but for now, like, my next fight will be at bantamweight and we'll see, I want to... Stick to one weight and see what happens. What, what's the dream? Because obviously you want everyone wants to be a world champion. Of course. But are you thinking, like my dream was world champion. That was it. Are you thinking multi weights? I'd like to be able to do two weights definitely because I've obviously I've boxed already at super bantam and bantam. So, and my last two fights were both against, well, especially the fourth fight against. She think she was ranked eighth in Europe. And she come at me like Golovkin. She so. did, yeah. You dealt with that very well, by the yeah. way. So I don't think you were expecting that. No, not at all, because we were told something different about her. Adam, uh, Charlie'd watched footage and she was completely different. She come at me like an absolute train. So round one, I lost and I was like, what the hell? Mm. And then I normally, I use my, my the way I fight is quite, got that boxing boost style, you know, the movement, da-da-da, but instead I just boxed her head off, especially round four. I made sure that she didn't touch me and I wasn't going to leave it to like make because it's a four rounder all she's got to do is try and nick two rounds and that's it she yeah. off a draw it's of very course. difficult of course so I had to make sure that I boxed a perfect fight after the round one just to make sure I got that win even like the sixes and the eights are, are dangerous territory as a, mm. as a pro because you start slow like TJ Dehenny like yeah, yeah. Dropped, dropped points well, in he- an eight even more so for females with only two minute rounds. Two round. minute exactly. rounds, yeah. And I know you I'm don't yet like those. to actually go the distance in a six round. I've been yeah. scheduled for two, and obviously bummed both by knockout. So I'm looking forward to when I can go because I think I only get stronger. So and I grow in confidence as the fights go on. And yeah, it's frustrating with two minutes. You can't you can't plot things and you yeah. can't really set things up. And actually, if you go down to the body and you really start hurting them, unless you get that that proper punch, they, they've got time to recover because. The bell's gone and it's back to the corner again. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to the longer rounds. It will suit me a lot better. Do you think? Do you think? How soon do you think that'll happen? If it will ever happen? Hmm. What three minute rounds? Three minute rounds I don't think meals? it will happen. No, no, I don't think. I, I wish it would. It would suit me perfect, but mm. I don't think it will happen. It, it is like you get as a meal three minutes is is a long enough time, and if you hurt someone in the first minute, you get a count. You have another two minutes to try and get rid. Hmm. If you hurt someone in the first minute as a female, the yeah. count happens and then someone can just run around for and, and hide and hold on for yeah. another 45 seconds, yeah. whatever, yeah. and then you're, then you're safe. It's difficult. It's all to do with, they say, women um, hold less water. So concussion... Like, so more chance yeah. of less water to the brain, concussion, rehydration. That's why they do it. So that's the argument. I just yeah. argument. I So maybe know. if there's a scientific study that comes out that, that contradicts the current evidence, then they'll mm-hmm. be... A case to lobby for three minute rounds. It would it take. Was, it wasn't that long ago. There was an argument when Jane Couch was trying to get female box, and she was like the forefront of it, especially in the UK. But it wasn't that long ago when the old argument was, you know, women have their cycle and sometimes they're angry and stuff. And it's like this is so. Yeah. It's so old. This, I can't believe people. This was only in the nineties. Patronising to a point of it's like mental, isn't it? Lads, sort it out, please. Yeah. But that was the argument for a while. But weirdly, we were so we were going to have Molly McCann on last week, and just things things fell through. She she was actually on a, a period for her last fight in UFC, and she was talking about how it 
happens you hold water and it makes making weight harder things that you know guys don't have to think about so a lot of extra variables. It, it does believe it or not it does play a huge factor massive factor in your planning yeah yeah because you can be bang on your weight and then suddenly it's time of the month and you've put on four kilos and not through eating or drinking purely because your body won't let go of any water it's holding on so would you plan if someone said to you, offer you a fight date, and you thought, well, that's, there's potential that I could come on then, would you actually try and say, look, could we make that? Could, could I jump on the fight date two weeks later as a result? Have you ever done that? I'll or? fight for anything. I've, I've boxed on days where it, the cycle has started, so it doesn't. Blimey. Makes it a nightmare, but you work around it. We're, st- we're slowly learning the ways that the body works and things like that. And yeah, it's it's not ideal, but. There we are. Punching the face is an ideal, and I was. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. But I, I think they, they don't even let women do 12, minute, 12 rounds. It's yeah, 10. The world champions is 10, which again mm. infuriates me. Like the WBC belt has female world champion written it's on it. pink belt as well, isn't it? The WBC has oh, the pink belt? No, that's the, the pink one. What's that? There's another thing? one, yeah. What is the pink one? I don't know what it is, but it just infuriates me. It's one of the it's one of the organisations yeah. with a pink yeah. belt. But to me, and I'm probably going to get <laughs> stick for saying this because everyone's going to be like, "You should be up for women's boxing." This is a man's sport. It is. There's no denying it. And we're always banging about equal rights and stuff. Well, then make it equal. We can't complain. Take away the female written on the belt because we're just a world champion. We're, once we're in that ring, who cares if you're a man or woman? You're a fighter at the end of the day. So there shouldn't be exceptions for us. We all want to fight. Stop trying to make excuses for us. Like, stop moaning, being typical women moaning. Mm. Get on with it. That's what I say. Do you think it would take some kind of collective lobby from all of the prominent female fighters to get three-minute rounds on the agenda? So if, say, you had Amanda Serrano and Clarissa Shields and Celia Breakhouse, and then even even some of the old guard like Anne Wolfe and Leila Ali and then people like yourself, everyone got on board with a petition or something uh, and put it to... The, the powers that be, do you feel like that would be the way to, to maybe get something on the agenda? No, because last year was probably the highest death boxing's had in a long time. So mm. I think they're going to try and do everything they can to protect fighters. And because there's science behind it, I think they'll just use that and say, there's the proof, go away. And you'd only need a, a career-ending injury in the third minute of a of a women's rat, about within the first couple of years and they go, well, there we go, back to... But the same argument with steroid use then. Right. And, it, and it's people get lenient sentences or whatever you want to call them bans um, and suspensions but it'll take for someone to be serious hurt seriously hurt by someone who is abusing the system and taking drugs performance enhancing drugs before there's serious repercussions what do you make of like Jarrell Miller being back after a six month ban signed to one of the biggest promoters in the world after after the stuff that was found in his system it's it's weird to me like there was a fighter recently who got banned for cocaine for two years he got a ban now that's not actually anything it was, that's but might be was it two or was it four might have been something it might have been four actually it was something absurd and like it? a two hundred thousand pound fine that was it four years two hundred thousand pound fine listen a drug's a drug you shouldn't be taking anything no, you're an athlete you shouldn't be mm. putting any sort of substance in your body but that's not an enhance like a, a performance enhancing drug but then to give someone like Jarrell Miller who was pumping every single thing and the and the kitchen sink inside him, mm. and he got a six month ban, and then signs of a decent promoter afterwards, and big welcome back part parade basically playing on it really oh, like yeah. doing the whole bad guy thing. Uh, he's with he's with the same promoter as me, mm. um, but I I think that anyone who takes performance enhancing drugs 
in boxing in a sport that is so dangerous should be banned for life. Hundred percent. And, and people talk about, oh, what about you know contamination or stuff? You should be. You you get the right supplements, so everything has to be approved. That and what do you call the, the flipping? I know exactly what you're trying. I was trying to sport think informed. Of the word. Yes, thank you. So yeah. it needs to be a sport informed drug or a supplement that you're taking yep. if if it isn't if it's a protein from over the counter or one of your mates just don't take it jack 3d stop I've, taking it i've yeah. known this since i was an amateur because the, the, the regulations when i was an amateur boxing for ireland were so strict and we were only allowed to take certain types of vitamin mm. and stuff i've known this since i was a young lad so why are people using that as an excuse to get out of it i think if there's any if there's traces of any banned substance in your system for to me, they need to throw the book at them. And I, I genuinely believe that. I was so aware as an amateur of the risks of taking something that I assumed was fine for me to take. But I didn't take it if it wasn't it didn't have a sport, sport approved mm. sticker or logo on it. Sporting form, yeah. well, I also sport think form, that, sorry. say like, the people that they fought, say like it comes out afterwards, actually they failed tested it. The person that's then lost that fight, they should be compensated of it because... Once you've got an, an L on your record, you're going into your next fight, you're not going to get paid as well because you've got less value. You've also got not got a perfect record anymore. So they should be he- heavily compensated as well because Absolutely. that can be the end of the... Look at David Price. He's come up against... Is it two drugs cheats now? More, more like three or four. I think four. it's three, yeah. And that's massively tarnished his career because he's got a few losses on his record now and he'll probably be earning a lot more money. But because he's got them losses, the promoters can offer him less money. Mm. Yeah, so he should be heavily compensated for it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Totiev Thompson, Tepper, Povetkin, all all pots. It's mad, isn't it? Absolutely mad. Okay, we'll be back with Shannon Courtney just after this. This week on House of Rugby, Rory Best joined Alex and James to talk about all things rugby, including Joe Marler's misdemeanors at the weekend. This is really important because context is the key to everything, right? right. In terms of uh, context of a rugby environment of yeah. me knowing Joe as he is and um, Alan and, Joan, and, and Alan from Wales, uh, yeah, Alan from Wales, knowing how they are, it's it's very funny, right? I find it very funny. I thought it's very very cheeky and ridiculous. However, you know that take that out of context of what you know you can't do that, and and it, and, it, and it's unfortunate because you know your first reaction. When you look at it level headless, go, it's a joke. You know, it's quite funny. He's, he's smiling. He's not, you know, there's no sexual intention in there. You know, it's, he's just winding him up. You know, you see all the extra boys every time they score, were doing all the that, yeah. cock Goose. taps or whatever they called it, and or the willy taps or whatever. They were doing all that stuff. Um, and, you know, that's part <laughs> of it. Uh, but I think it's a very fine line between saying, oh, it's just changing room, you know, stuff. You know, Donald Trump, you know, when he said all that terrible stuff, you know, he oh, just yeah. says locker room. And look, I, I think out of context, you just can't do it. And, and, I, and I, I think it's one of those things on any other stage, you know, behind closed doors, a training session, then everybody laughs it off. I don't think... Um, I just think, unfortunately, you've st- stepped over a line into a, into a murky thing. You can't condone that. Cheers, James. House of Rugby out now. Uh, back here on TK with Shannon Courtney. Um, we were talking about when you first sort of got thrust into the spotlight and suddenly yeah, everyone's watching you, everyone's commenting on your videos, everyone's trying to interact with you on social media. Mm-hmm. What's that side of boxing been like for you? At first, it was because it was all new, I was all really excited by it. And I was like, oh, wow, like you're going out and you're getting recognised in Tesco's and things like that. And it was really good. And then, then it took its toll. And I don't mean... When you're going out and getting recognised, I mean, the social media tickets toll where every little thing you do, you're judged and everyone's got an opinion and people on Twitter are arseholes. And it took a 
bad effect on me massively. I I got severely bad anxiety because of it. Didn't want to go on social media for a long time. And the the, the annoying thing is, is everyone's so quick to slag off social media. It can be a beautiful thing. Social media it can be used in such positive ways to create really positive effects. But it's also a horrendous thing where it can cre- create monsters out of people and the worst thing is you sit there and you open your phone in your living room and you're actually welcoming these strangers into your house mm. to tell you the truth it's it's full of wankers it is <laughs> like and loads of them like when you have a wee see when something happens in your career a couple of losses for me they all come out and it's like oh, leave me alone you've you just been waiting for this I or? know it's like people yeah. love to be negative and put other people down it's mm. sad but it's true. We talk about it all the time, but... I, I just still, to this day, I don't understand what someone gets out of it. And they haven't even got, like, an, a Twitter account, like, their picture's an egg. Like, it's not even them, and you just think, well, you must be right ugly then, if <laughs> you've not even... Yeah. I personally think every single Instagram or Twitter account or Facebook, whatever, should be verified. I don't mean verified with the blue tick, I mean an address and a passport, so that if they do troll you, actually they are traceable. That they will stop a lot then. Well, after what happened with Caroline Flack, I mean, it's almost, you know, a lot of people argue it was kind of, she, she lost her life because of social media and because of the backlash against 100%. everything that, that happened. And she felt like she was being trialled by, by the public before she'd even been to court. And that is a terrible feeling when you, you know, if someone says, Carverhampton's a dickhead, and you look at that and it's got one like and mm. it's your mate, you sort of laugh. But if you open that up and there's 8,000 likes on that, suddenly you feel like, a big patch of the population's against you all of a sudden mm. because that comment holds weight. It's almost quantifiable by the numbers of people that have retweeted it and liked it and given their opinion towards that. They've supported that tweet. Therefore, they hate you as well and they have bad feeling against you. And I've seen some of the stuff that's been tweeted to you mm. as, a, as a woman in boxing. You know, people, things about women shouldn't be doing this and why is she doing and And instantly judging you before you've even had a chance to prove A, who you are as a person, B, yeah. who you are as a fighter. Yeah. And of course, you as a as an actual human being have got to deal with that for as long as your career and pub, time in the public eye goes on. It's hard. People can sit there and say they're not bothered by it, and we'll probably sit there and go, "I." Ah. Of course, at the end of the day, you probably do sit there and overthink things. And like my mum joined Twitter, and I was like, "Get off there right now." <laughs> she was like, well, "I'm only going to follow you." I said, "That's enough. Just get off it. You don't need to see some of the vile things people write." And I'll get like say out of a hundred comments, ninety seven, ninety eight will be wonderful. Then you get them two or three wankers, and then ones do stick in your head because, as a nation, as a world, we kind of focus more negatives than we do positives nowadays. And you do let them things affect you, and it's a horrible, horrible thing to be honest. And all I've ever wanted to do is is box. If I could just box without the business side and the social media side and just fight because I love fighting. Oh, that'd be bliss. But it comes with territory of trying to be a role model for young girls. And I've got a little sister, Harriet. She's 13. I want to be a role model for her. But I'm terrified about her going on social media because I think, not that she's going to get what I get, but it's, it isn't, it's a vicious world out there. Mm. My, People my need ma- to be helped. My mum's on Twitter and I told her to get off. Your mum? Yeah. She- and, and she unfollowed me thinking that I don't know what she's on. <laughs> <laughs> And she's still on. <laughs> she follows people like Scott Quigg. 
But not me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she follows Christine either, but that's like she's trying to keep yeah, she thinks she's sick Christine's one of my favourite accounts on Twitter, actually. If anyone everyone gives her shit, she's just like, fuck off. Oh, she gets, <laughs> she's she great. Everyone everyone loves her stuff. Yeah. Sometimes, oh, it's a bit close to interesting, but <laughs> if I was you, I'd be a bit worried about her and Michael Buffer, that's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> her and Buffer have this great relationship on Twitter. It's brilliant. It matter for the first time when I fought Kiko Martinez. And people don't think it is Buffer, but it is Buffer. You'll go, oh, is, how yeah. you doing, Eddie? This is Eddie Hearn. No, it's fully Michael. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm there fighting against <laughs> so, Michael. Um, he met Christine, and his wife is called Christine too. And I think they spoke to each other when I fought Kiko Martinez, the world title. And they just got this like great connection online. They all love dogs. Yes. Michael is Michael's <laughs> rehomed like six or seven rescue dogs. Yeah. Like, yeah, he loves them. Absolutely loves them. Wow, what a strange old world. Well, hopefully, just more of the positives and less of the negatives on social can, media. Can we ask about, you've had some weird requests. Oh, yeah. <sighs> this gets brought up literally every interview I do. Like, weirdest requests. Just give us give us your top your top one or two. Oh, I don't even want to say it. No, you it. can't say it, sir. Give us three or four. Uh, I've been offered money to punch, uh, to beat someone up, he's naked, but to render him, if I I got a five hundred pound bonus, if I rendered him infertile, it's like the golden contract, knockout bonus, <laughs> infertile, what forever? I don't know. I didn't reply. I don't know. Well, he you knows you can just get a vasectomy for like <laughs> on the NHS. I don't know. Obviously, as everyone's, it was a big spread about it in the Sun newspaper. Obviously, about the guy offered me ten thousand pounds for my socks, which was oh why? yes. <laughs> um, what did you do that? No. Why not? Honestly, I was speaking. I was grand. speaking. I was speaking to a producer about this. You send him a fair amount, and I'll take a cut. <laughs> I would like if someone, if someone depends what they're if they're asking for trunks or your knickers, I would say don't do that. It's weird. If someone asks for a pair of socks for ten grand, fucking hell! Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I do agree. Send the socks. Listen, Why did not do it. Drop, no. my, drop my message. Just say, look, is the offer still there on the table? <laughs> Even five. Any others? They're every day. They're just very... It's so weird. Like, what do guys think is the best that's going to happen? You'll go, actually, I don't want to send you my socks. Do you want to go on a date? Like, what's the, what's their end game with Some that? Some guy messages me like, this. I always know his account because it's the picture's very weird and he's like every day. And then when it got announced I was fighting a Doncaster, he was like, oh my God, I live near Doncaster. I can finally take you for that Toby Carver I've been promising you. Not that he's ever going to meet me. <laughs> And then he sent me a picture of like these flowers he'd brought me and he'd gone and got me a bracelet with my name engraved and it was just like, and I never replied to this man, I've never ever replied, like it's not even accepted, so he doesn't know I can see it. And I'll just sit there, like I'll go out with my friends and the girls will go, chuck us your phone and they'll go, let us see and they'll just sit there and they'll just read through all the messages and it's just... That's the Alan Partridge one, the stalker. Jed, Jed Maxwell, yeah, he goes, <laughs> goes back to his house and he's just got cuttings of him all over the wall and a, and a mannequin of him. <laughs> Tattoo, yeah. <laughs> Well, you should do the socks, really. You should do that. 10 I'm grand for a pair doing, of socks. I'm That's not mental doing the if you haven't done that. Do you know what the worst... What, not the, what the if anyone worst wants to ask... Yeah, I'm just going to say, if Carl wants... Carl's socks to say. <laughs> there must be some weird edit I would, I would, I'd probably keep a little bit of money, but I'd give most of it to charity. Oh, I'm not <laughs> doing it. <laughs> Chris has got a new house, actually. He could do yeah, it. I really could do it with the money, actually. So if you can, just chuck a bit more. No, but way. some people get quite vicious about it. Like, obviously, it was well documented on Instagram that, like, me and Joe Joyce are very good friends. Yeah. And obviously, when he was in my camp, we were constantly messing around. And he'd constantly put videos of me up on Instagram, just, like, messing around. 
one guy was constantly like sending threats to my account, but for Joe, like I'm going to kill him. I'm going to do this yeah. if he goes near you. We get like it yeah, was, you, you better have an elephant <laughs> gun, mate. Really? No, I was going to say good luck. The yeah, good, good luck with really? that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd love. I'd actually love him to turn up to your house. <laughs> Be like Homer Simpson, you know, just whacking him in the head and nothing's happening. Jewel, Jewel told me a story before, and it was one of the funniest stories I've ever heard. And he was he'd parked his push bike outside a shop, left it leaning against the wall, and someone had stole his bike. So some kid had stole a bike. So obviously a big kid because Joe's the seat's gotta be up here somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So he says like a week later, he sees this kid and he takes the bike back off him. And I said, Hi, how'd you get it back off him? And he says, i seen him. He was cycling right towards me and I stepped out in front of him and put my hands on the handlebars and said, Oi, get off my bike now! <laughs> <laughs> and the kid just jumped off. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, that would scare the shit. That would scare yeah, the shit. Yeah, he's had PTSD ever that as well. Amazing. I love Joe. I love People Joe. People think that he's like... Dull or boring, or no, he's great. He's hilarious. He just got to, he's got to be comfortable around you. He's not good in front of cameras. Yeah, he's not really given the chance to speak in front of cameras often. But he's hilarious. He's so, and he's such a great guy as well. Yeah, he's a proper good egg. Do you think he beats Dubois? People are going to disagree with me, but yeah, I do. I think he stops Dubois late rounds. No, as long I, as he I comes do. through the early opening rounds because Dubois is going to come out fast. Mm, of course. But Joe's got so much more experience at that calibre of fighter as well. And Dubois, even in the amateurs and the pros, he's never come up against someone like Joe before. And Joe's unbelievable work rate in his engine and the fact that you could hit him with a sledgehammer and you won't knock him out. His chin, it's dangerous how, mm. how granite his chin is. And I just think he'll wear Dubois down and stop him late rounds. And you have to give credit to both guys for taking it this early yeah, in, it's in their career. Fight. It's a great fight and it could be a fight for a world title. And... You know, two years' time, but to be taken at this point, it's it's uh, it's it's commendable to both of them. Very worthy European title fight. Right, we have gone over time apparently, but that's how much we've enjoyed ourselves. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your sharing a bit of your story. It's been great. Good luck on twenty fourth of April. Thank you. Uh, Doncaster Dome is where Shannon will be fighting. You'll be watching that on Sky Sports. Massive thanks to Shannon. Cheers, Carl. As well, we'll be back next week. Uh, we think with Paulie Malinaji in Manchester. So stay tuned, and we'll see you uh, in about seven days' time. You've been listening to TKO on Joe.